Well, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll, Lord willing, finish our study of the meaning and the extent of a wife's submission, which, full confession, I thought was going to be one sermon and has turned into four. But honestly, the reason that it kept expanding is because it needs so much explanation, frankly, because it's been so poorly understood and sometimes so poorly taught and oftentimes so poorly lived out that it's taken this amount of time for us to make sure we understand what it says and even understand what the text doesn't say, the meaning and extent of a wife's submission. Let me read this paragraph so that it's fresh in our minds. Paul, after telling us to be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, then turns to relationships. And the first one he turns to is the relationship between the husband and the wife. And he says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, be submissive to or subject to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But... As the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own life, wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members, parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. These words were written some 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul to the first generation of the church it was a church consisting of believers who lived in the city of Ephesus. They had trusted the good news of the gospel and were learning what the implications of living out that good news might be. So this letter is an outline of theology and practical application of that theology. This paragraph in particular that I just read to you contains the details for God's ideals for marriage. It describes how God has designed the relationship between a husband and wife. It'll be followed by how God's designed the relationship between parents and children. So the family is the first and foremost application of walking in step with the Spirit of God that he turns his, life, his, his attention to, rather. Here we find God's ideal for marriage. But we must be careful and we must be ready for strong reactions against God's ideals against God's regulations, and against God's instructions. It should not surprise us that this is not a popular text in our culture. It should surprise us that it's not a popular text in many churches. If a Christian husband and a Christian wife 
or either of them attempt to be the kind of spouse described in these verses, there will be a reaction from the world. This reaction Paul described a bit with detail in a a different application when he was talking to the Philippians, writing to the Philippians in Philippians 2 verse 12. You can just listen. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Two interesting words. Work out your salvation. Apply the salvation that I described to you. Work it out with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Well, obviously that's a reference to fear and trembling before the Lord, but I think it's more than that. I think it's to understand the reverence and the awe that if you work out your salvation in a wicked and perverse culture, there are consequences. For it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Then he says this, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Two better words would be translated. Do all things without complaining or arguing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. What a description. Paul is saying, I want to encourage you to hold fast, to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, without any complaining, without any arguing. And as you do this, you're going to look like lights in the world, but some people will push back. The kind of marriage Paul is describing here in Ephesians 5, if honored and if obeyed, will draw the attention of many. It will draw the ire of some, but it will become attractive like lights in the darkness to others. But this is what's sweet and most important. Husbands, if we apply this text, wives, if you apply this text, it will bring a depth of enjoyment, delight, and fulfillment to your marriage that no other text you've ever read can bring. But know this. I've already experienced this. I'm a few weeks ahead of you in looking at what's coming, men. Anytime, let me say it, every time we measure our lives against the standard of God's word, we are going to sense a tremendous gap between what ought to be and what is. And that's the nature of studying scripture. And that's the grace that God gives us for showing us who we're not and who we're to be and gives us the ways to become more pleasing to him. This will be true for both husbands and wives. And so Paul begins by addressing the wives. We've been in this for For some three weeks, this is the fourth week now, let's go back to it. He begins with three verses, three simple sections to the wives. Wives, be subject or submissive to your own husbands as to the Lord. Or as Ephesians says, as is fitting in the Lord, as honors Christ. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject or submissive to their husbands in everything. As I said, this is week four in our study of these three verses. And the reason we've taken so much time is because there's so much confusion on the meaning and the extent of a wife's submission. So we've turned our attention to that. 
by asking three questions. Three questions for clarifying this confusion about submission in marriage. A lot of confusion. Paul cuts straight through it. He doesn't mince words. It's very direct. It's not hard to understand. It's just difficult to apply. Three questions for clarifying confusion about submission in marriage. And as I've said about this subject, like so many others in Scripture, it's not hard to understand. It's more difficult to apply. And I think the biggest reason that people struggle with applying Scripture is not always because they don't understand it. It's because they don't like it. And we should expect that resistance from our fleshly humanness that's being sanctified and changed by the Spirit of God. But if we apply what God has said, understood correctly, interpreted properly, then there is blessing and happiness and promise that follows. Let's dive into these three questions. We began, we answered all three of them in short. I'm going to summarize the first two and then we'll be really practical in the third. Number one, how should submission work in marriage? That's the big question. How should it work? We keep hearing about it. Paul just talked about it. How should it work? He tells us in verse 22, wives, be subject to, and that's in italics, which means the, that's not in the original Greek if you're looking at a New American Standard. The verb is borrowed from verse 21. Be subject to, hupotasso, submissive to. It's not a difficult word to mean. It means fall in rank under. Understand the hierarchy and where you exist in that hierarchical structure. Wives, be subject to or submissive to your own husbands. It doesn't say to every man, ladies. It just says to your own husband. As to the Lord. Doesn't mean that you, your husband, and the Lord are synonyms there. It means do it as you would be doing this to the Lord. Your obedience to the Lord manifests in submission to your husband, following his leadership. It should be no surprise that most people today have an allergic reaction in their heart to the idea of submission. That's not just wives to husbands, that's everyone to every authority. That's because the caricature here of the submission of a wife to a husband has been looked at as bowing to her husband, saying yes to his every whim and his every request. My wife is a very submissive woman and that ain't how it works in my house. That's not biblical submission. Biblical submission is the attitude and action of willingly and wholeheartedly respecting, yielding to, and obeying the authority of another. That's biblical submission. And that's specifically applied in a marriage. That's the submission that I'm to have to the government, for example. That's the submission that we're to have to our employers, for example. Let me say it again. It's biblical submission is the attitude and action of willingly and wholeheartedly respecting, yielding to, and obeying the authority of another. That's what hupotasso means. And we spent a lot of time looking at that in previous weeks. Wives, can I give you an idea that you might not have thought before? It is a grace that you're in the position of submission and not headship. It is a grace that you don't have to bear the responsibility of being the head of the home, which Paul will address in the next passage we'll look at next week. So if you had to say, which is the harder burden to bury, submitting 
or leading, being in a, 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 a led position or a leadership position. I can tell you, having been, been a few weeks ahead of you in the study, the harder position is headship and leadership. So thank the Lord for the grace of not having to bear that burden. Number two, why should a wife submit? And we had a whole, almost an hour on that, if you want to go back and listen to the recording on that. Number two, the second question, this took a whole week, why should a wife submit to her husband? Why? I mean, some woman might say, any woman should say, submit to him. Why? It says so in verse two. Because, or for, the same word, because the husband is the head of the wife. Notice it doesn't say he should become it. He is it. He's either a good one, either a good one or a bad one. He is the head of the wife. Here's the parallel. As Christ also is the head of the church. He himself, Jesus himself, being the savior of the body. Biblical submission of a Christian wife to her husband is not oppression. It should be a response to loving leadership. Why? Because this text tells us the leadership should be like Christ, as Christ also is the head of the church. So husbands, I know that we're, our section is coming next, but there's much in that word headship for you and me. Our leadership, our headship in our family, the head of the home, should mimic, should imitate, should closely resemble the character of Christ and his leadership of the church. That means the husband is to be a servant leader, a shepherd leader, a caring leader, a sacrificial leader, a selfless leader, a deliberate leader, a protective leader, and a providing leader. Headship means service, sacrifice, provision, and protection. And as we look to Christ, we don't see egregious power being demonstrated, we see a loving, giving, sacrificing, serving, providing, and protecting Savior. So men, when we are married, when we have children, God calls us to abandon all courses of life that lead to ourselves in exchange for a life of living for your wife and living for your kids in the name of Christ. We did a deep dive on this. It's based on creation, not culture. And we'll come back to that when we look at the man's leadership in just a few verses. So how should a submission work in marriage? You orient yourself underneath the leadership of the one God has called to lead you. Why should you do that? Because God said the husband is the head of the home and the leader of the wife. Not because he's better or smarter, but that's just the way God has arranged the things. And then we began looking at last week the third question. And again, I'm being so brief on these first two questions. We did a whole sermon on each of them that you can go back and, and listen to if you have questions. When should a wife submit to her husband? When should this happen? What's the context? What's the extent of this? We called this the, the meaning and extent. What is the extent? How, where does a wife's submission stop? And does it have limits? And yes, it does. Verse 24 gives us those the context, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. We began looking at two implications of submission that become explicit in verse 24. Two controls of a wife's submission to her husband. The first is an analogous understanding. Let me spell that for you. I want to make sure you know that. It's an analogy. A-N-A-L- 
O-G-O-U-S, analogous. It's an analogy between the husband and Christ and the church and wives. It's an analogous understanding. But as the church is subject to Christ, there's the analogy. Secondly, it's a comprehensive application. They're to be subject to their husbands in everything. What a statement. In everything. A comprehensive application. God calls a wife to follow her husband's lead by submission in everything, what does everything mean? Well, does everything mean everything? And the answer is not always. Just like all doesn't always mean all. You say, what do you mean by that? The parallel is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't fly through Christ who strengthens me without an airplane. I can't sprout wings. I, I, I can't dunk a basketball so I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can't levitate. I wish I could. I can't turn invisible. That was the superpower I always wanted as a kid, just to disappear and go where I wanted and no one would know. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> I was a kid. So what does it mean in everything? Well, it does not mean absolutely everything. There's a context for that. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he literally means, the context tells you, I can live with means and I can live in poverty. When he says, in, all, or in everything you submit, that means every category. As we said last week, a husband may never forbid what God commands, nor may he command what God forbids. If he does, wives should not submit. We say that, that principle with employees to their employers as well. If an, if an authority commands or leads you to do sin, you say no. It was kind of complicated, but I explained last week. It's a categorical command in its comprehensiveness, not comprehensive in every category. And what I mean by that, it's categorical in its comprehensiveness, meaning there's no loopholes you can't say, well, I'll submit except for this, except for that. But it's not comprehensive in every category that a husband can't say anything he wants and expect the wife to snap in submission to that if it involves sin. The question became, and we started this last week, what if a husband is committing sin with or against his wife? That's why if there is, let me just be explicit, if there's physical um, harm or abuse, you call the authorities, you call the police. We would instruct you to do that and beg you to do that. If you came to us, we will go with you to do that. If he's being unkind in, in other ways, then that's why you have the church. And we would love to encourage you, support you, counsel the two of you if possible. But commanding what God forbids and forbidding what God commands are not areas there's limits to that submission. We also looked at 1 Peter chapter 3, and let me just read that to you and for you because it's such an important passage because the question becomes, well, what if I'm a godly woman and I have an ungodly husband or an unsaved husband? What do I do then? Peter addresses that. We talked about it last week. Let me just highlight it. Peter says in the same way, just as all of us have submission that we have to give to authorities, men and women together, 
Wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of the wives. Let me just say something. They may be one. It doesn't say they will be one. It's a different Greek verb. This is not a promise. This is like the Proverbs. that They give us principles that the Lord will operate in, but they're not guarantees and promises. Oh, how I wish if you found a woman in a relationship like this that you could say, if you do these three things, then it'll guarantee your husband's salvation and all things will go well. But it doesn't. Gives us the principles as they observe your chaste and respectable behavior, your adornment, your attractiveness must not be merely external, braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but it, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Then he references Sarah, but then he says at the end of this, by the way, if you do what's right without being frightened by any fear, don't be afraid to be submissive to be gracious, to follow his leadership. Then the footnote, we'll come back to this. Husbands, in the same way, you also have to be submissive to the Lord. Live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I understand that, that there's a, it says the woman is a weaker vessel. That means that by and large, the uh, uh, females are weaker than, than men physically, generally true. I don't think that's what he's talking here. I think primarily when he's saying it's a weaker vessel, she's in the weaker position because she's the submitter. And he's saying, husbands, live with your wives understanding that she is in the weaker position because she has to submit to you. Oftentimes, we're getting ready in the morning. My wife and I, we have a double sink in our, in our bathroom, and I, I look at her, and I look at me, and I think, she, she has to submit, and I look in the mirror, and I see me. What a sentence. But I want it to be a glory. When Kim and I disagree, and we do, she tells me that she will gladly submit to me and leave my decision between me and God. This does not mean that a wife obeys her husband like a child obeys his parents. Kim and I once counseled a couple. I'm not, I wish I was making this up. It was so sad, and I was probably less than kind in my initial response. And when the wife wouldn't submit, the husband would ground her and take away privileges as he would with a child. And let's just say that I let him know that that wasn't a good idea. Man, you ever had a, you ever talked to someone and you feel your wife's hand on your thigh, you know, like, calm down, tiger. And I, I, that was one of those times. Also doesn't mean that the wife is, or the husband is smarter than his wife, more spiritual than his wife, or always right over his wife. And we'll have much more to say about that as we look at the husband. Well, that got us to where we put a pause last week. What is submission? What I want to do is give you two lists, just to help practically. A couple of ladies told me, will you please be practical about what that means and what it looks like and what it doesn't? Here we go. Ready? What is submission not? And I'm going to ask you some questions. 
And these all should be answered with the answer, no. Okay? Here are the questions. What submission is not? This is the first. I have 11 of them, and I'll vest. Am I nagging? Am I a nag? Annoying. Footnote, all of these principles, by the way, are applicable to you and me, men, in our relationships at work or the places where we have submissive relationships. So these aren't just uniquely for a woman. These are uniquely for a wife in application to her husband, but they apply to us as well. Am I annoying? Solomon had a lot to say about a wife who attempts to exercise leadership through nagging and annoying. Proverbs 27, verse 15. A constant, and by the way, before I read these, I have to wonder if Solomon had a roof problem. And you'll know what I mean when I read them. A constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious wife are alike. He who would restrain her restrains the wind and grasps oil with his hand. He's saying, remember what the winds we had last weekend? That if you have a contentious argumentative, nagging wife, it's like going out and putting up your fingers, spreading them out and stopping the wind. Not going to happen. Proverbs 19, 13. A foolish son is a destruction to his father and the contentions of a wife are a constant dripping. Proverbs 21, verse 19. It's better to live in the corner of a roof than a house shared with a contentious woman. Similarly, 10 verses later, Proverbs 21, 19, it's better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing or annoying woman. This is someone who just kind of nags. And I, I think Solomon must have dealt with a leaky roof because he's, that was the analogy he kept going back to. He's saying, are you that? That's not a way to honor your husband to be submissive. Number two, am I disagreeable? Am I disagreeable? This is just being a contrarian on your husband's efforts to lead. Yes, you should have discussions. Yes, you should disagree. Yes, you ought to disagree and you can disagree, but ask yourself if you're being difficult in the disagreement. There's different difference between disagreeing and being disagreeable, just where you're a contrarian about everything. Yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. That's not submission. Number three, am I argumentative? Very similar. Am I, or contentious, that's what the Proverbs call argumentative, contentious, argumentative. It's better to live in the corner of a roof than a house with, shared with a contentious woman. Stronger than being disagreeable, it moves toward couching the disagreement in arguments, both petty and monumental. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms the dispute. So wives, he's asking, does your disagreement turn into an argument where the volume of the conflict is turned up or turned down? Proverbs 20, verse 3, keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool can quarrel. I read it earlier, but did you notice? Do all things without grumbling or dispute. Literally, do all things without complaining or arguing. Does that represent in any way the way that you tango with your husband? Number four, am I disloyal? Am I disloyal? This means you're more loyal, to, loyal in your affections, in your seeking counsel, in your friendships 
with others than you are your husband. This could be friends, and God forbid it shouldn't be, but it could be another man, or it can be a parent. My wife and I counseled a couple, several years ago, many years ago actually, who we had to help because the, the wife, two years into marriage, was calling her mom five to seven times a day. I think you should love and care for and call your mom, but there was more intimate interaction going there between them than there was the husband and wife. That's disloyal. Are you most loyal to your husband? Number five, am I moody? Am I moody? In other words, do I change moods to get what I want? Am I pouty, unpredictable with my mood swings? Are you that woman, in air quotes, that some guy would say, uh, when I come home and I open the door, I don't know what I'm going to face. Are you predictable? Are you in control of your moods and your feelings? If you're not, that leads to unsubmissiveness. Number six, I struggle with this. Squandering. Am I squandering? I wanted to say, am I spendy? And Kim helped me say, that's not a good word, spendy. It means, am I a spendthrift? Am I irresponsible with money? Proverbs 31 tells us of the, the godly wife. Right in the middle of it, and it takes many verses after this to explain it. Lemuel says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, Proverbs 31, 11, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And if you go in the following eight verses, it's talking about financial application. She is trustworthy with the checkbook. She is trustworthy with the bank account and the budget. This is referring to not staying within the limits of a budget. Men, this also means that we are involved in regular discussions with our wives about our budgets, our financial values, even our access to our financial world. This should be discussed and agreed upon and talked about. But wives, there are limits and controls and communication that comes along with that. Can I give you a little footnote? This is more to the men than even the women, but it ought to be for both. Can I encourage you? Can I encourage you to get things, your affairs in order before you think you need to? In other words, if, if I were to enter into eternity... Does my wife have a document that has all my passwords, all my accounts, all the phone numbers? Am I caring for her like that? Am I squandering? Come back to that, man. <laughs> Number seven, am I overpowering? This means taking control in conversations when your husband is with you, either with him or with others. You're just the person who controls the narrative and the conversations. You overpower. Number eight, am I independent or am I independent in my decisions? That means you make decisions about finances, about the children, about discipline with the children without conferring with and consulting with your husband. You just operate independently. One of the saddest things I ever heard in a counseling situation was when a wife told my wife and me, I, I wanted a husband, 
but what I got was a roommate. In other words, are you consulting with each other about life? Number nine, am I defiant? Purposefully dishonoring his leadership with a defiant, unsubmissive attitude, tone. This is that that contrarian, no, I won't do this. No, you can tell me uh, what we should do here, but not there. And this is my domain and my control. I know, ladies, there's a, a, a other side of all this with the men, and we'll, we'll get there. Just give me a chance. Number, uh, number 10, am I inattentive? Inattentive. This is ignoring and disregarding his leadership. Like independence, it's operating more as a roommate than his wife. Just ignoring, inattentive, living your own life. And number 11, probably that wraps them all together, am I manipulative? Manipulation is using ungodly coercion to get what you want. Many varieties of manipulation, and that's for another sermon. But do I manipulate to get what I want? That's not submission. That's the negative. So what is submission? You have five subpoints under that. By the way, this sermon breaks every homiletical rule I teach in my preaching class. Like, don't have this many points. First of all, submission, before we even get to number one, submission is submission to the Lord. This is all done in response to the Lord. This is not just a horizontal relational dimension or um, uh, application. This is all because of the Lord, meaning that if he never responds well to your submission, it's still pleasing to the Lord. And on the flip side, if she never responds well to your love and you're doing it for the Lord, it's still pleasing to him. So number one, submission seeks his leadership. It looks for it. It wants it. It seeks his leadership. Wives, do you ever sit down with your husband in conversation to ask about his leadership? Not to question it, but to seek it. Do you ever ask about it? Have you ever said, you know, the Lord has given you a tremendous burden as the head of our home. What, what, what's, how are you doing? What's that like? How can I pray for you? She seeks it. She wants it. When major decisions come up, Honey, can we have a conference? Can we have a talk? Can we have a calendar meeting? Can we have a calendar committee meeting? We are the committee. Number two, submission follows his leadership. Are you following the direction your husband is providing? Now, if someone said, well, he's not providing any, any direction, have you asked for it? God has made you the head. Tell us where we should go as a family, as, as a couple. Again, this comes through conversation, through discussion, even through appealing to him when you disagree, which ought to happen regularly. Number three, it encourages his leadership. It encourages his leadership. Wives, does your husband feel like, does he believe that you are for him more than you're against him, that he, you're his biggest cheerleader for being a godly head in the home? Do you encourage him and push him to be the leader God has called him to be? Do you regularly, have you ever, let him know that you love him and you support him as the head of your home? Are these things that you talk about, in other words, 
They ought to be. Number four, do you respect, uh, respects and honors his leadership? Respects and honors. At a minimum, this means that a wife does not attack her husband or put him down to, him, to his face or to others. Instead, this submissive godly wife communicates to her children and to others that she is glad to be on her, on her husband's team and will cheer him on. And if he makes a mistake, and he will many times, she should assure him of her loyalty and her love. And lastly, praise for his leadership. Praise for his leadership, his headship. Wives, are you your husband's most faithful advocate at heaven's throne? Does the Lord come to your prayers and he knows I'm going to hear about him again, but it's not all going to be negative. Do you pray for him? Will you pray for him? Does this mean that this is a kind of a leave it to beaver home that everything is perfect and wonderful and squeaky clean? No. It means that there's a lot of conversation. Men will get to this. What it means to love your wife is not to dictate, it's to listen. But that's for next week. There should be an appeal process. Submission doesn't mean that you have no appeal for decisions that are made or edicts that are rendered. It means you come back and you say, hey, can we rethink that? The secret sauce for a godly and a happy marriage is this. Good, godly, regular communication. You talk about these things. Listen, men, the president of the United States doesn't make, or shouldn't make, I should say that, significant decisions without consulting his cabinet. We shouldn't make any decisions with consult, without significant decisions without consulting our helpmeets, that precious gift that God has given us. Do you communicate and do you communicate regularly? I told you back in Ephesians 4 when we were studying communications, this will be most applied within your marriage and it should be and it is. So yes, there's an appeal process. Submission doesn't mean shut up and obey. That's not submission. Submission means I'm following your leadership, but leadership involves godly and regular communication. And even when and even if your husband is ungodly, unkind, or maybe even unsaved, these principles are still divinely blessed and will bear fruit. And if they don't bear the fruit of changing your husband, they will bear the fruit of pleasing your Lord.
I'm sweating. I told Kim all week, I, it's difficult to stand up as a man and as a pastor and say, hey, you wives. But I'm glad Paul did and I don't have to. Let me just say, ladies, as difficult as some of these questions are to answer, we have some lists coming in future weeks for the husbands as well. But as George Swinnick said, a gracious wife satisfies a good husband and silences a bad one. And Paul Trapp, John Trapp, Puritan John Trapp said, a prudent wife commands her husband by obeying him, honoring him. You have incredible power in submission, in following the leadership and the headship of the man that God has chosen. I said it last week. Let me say it again. This is a, just the last little, this is not a footnote. This is the end note. Can I be grandpa? Can I be dad for a second? Single ladies, you have a choice. Your greatest gift you will ever give a man is your submission. Vet him well according to godly standards. No one gets it right every time or 100%. But I would beg you, while you have a choice, that you try to position yourself so that you never have to apply 1 Peter 3 and submit to an ungodly man. Let those of us who know and help you, help you. Single men, be a godly man who will be a servant and a shepherd and a protector and a provider for the woman of God's choice. Father, we understand that this is only possible through gospel graces and gospel power and gospel help. Please help us in the understanding of application, of theological analogy with Christ and church. Prepare us as we even go to the next step of looking at what you expect from the men, from husbands. None of this is possible without your empowerment and without your grace. So make us willing to receive your instruction and looking to receive your power so we can apply and be lights in the world, a very dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.